Hi, everyone. Welcome or welcome back to the Connected Divergence podcast. My name is Tina Etheridge. I'm a radical ADHD and ADHD acceptance coach. And today we're going to dive into it talking about uncommon, I won't say uncommon, that's not the right way to say it, but uncommonly talked about hyperfixations. Um, Not that they're uncommon because we sure do experience them, but they're often not discussed, not talked about. And a lot of people don't even realize that this is Um, that their experiences are related to ADHD. And that was certainly my experience for so many of these of just feeling like, well, I must just have an obsessive personality or I don't know, I just must be a very um, (laughs) person that's just like really intensely into things um, or just, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to avoid the word hyperfocus because obviously I did not know that word back in the day before my diagnosis and now I do. But that's the experience, right, of being hyperfocused or hyperfixated on certain little things. So we're going to jump into it today. So today we're going to be talking about hyperfixating on people. We're going to talk about body-focused hyperfixations and a subcategory of that sort of like um, medical or like health level hyperfixations. And then we're also going to talk about the kind of um, hyperfixating that happens on external. I don't really have a word for this yet, but the experience is hyperfixating on like external things in our environment And I'll give some specific examples. It's not like crochet um, of like, oh, how joyful. I'm like hyper fixated on crochet and this is so much fun and I'm having the best time ever. And I just want to buy all the things. It's more like, oh, cool. I just bought this new thing, whatever it may be. Maybe, I don't know, some new AirPods or a new water bottle or a new sticker. And it's this sort of hyper fixation on imperfections of like, I cannot tolerate anything being wrong with this for some period of time. And then when the dopamine wears off, you're kind of like, okay, cool, we're good. Anyway, I'll jump into it later. But this is what we're gonna talk about today. Um, Some different hyperfixations that are not commonly talked about. So let's start off with the first one, hyperfixating on people. And yes, this is 100% an ADHD experience. Super, super common, just not commonly talked about. Um, I stumbled upon a really apt word today on Reddit, um, somebody on the, the, one of the ADHD subreddits was describing it as limerence, limerence, which is such an interesting word. So fun to say. Um, but let me define limerence for you. Okay. So limerence is the state. I hope I'm pronouncing it right. Maybe this is one of those things that I don't know. I like read and then I don't know how to pronounce it. That happens a lot. Um, anyway, Limerence is the state of being obsessively infatuated with someone, usually accompanied by delusions of or a desire for an intense romantic relationship with that person. And I I never called it limerence. I always called it, or I don't know, I would classify it. This is how it feels to me in my brain of like, I am totally, completely, 100% hyperfixated on this person. When I was really young, it was my crushes. I was obsessed. I was like, I could think about this person all day long. Um, like all of my thoughts, all of my energy are like toward and around this person. And it can happen, I would say it can happen in romantic relationships and it can also happen to, um, or in platonic friendships as well. It doesn't just have to be, um, a person that you're attracted to. And it's the same level of intensity of, oh my gosh, here's this new sparkly hobby or this new thing that I'm learning about or, 
I really want to live in an RV. That's my new dream. I'm going to like do hyperfixated research on the internet about it for like six months straight. Um, and then maybe the novelty wears off. It can be super, super, super similar. It's like the little same experience applied to people, right? Same intensity, but it's people. <laughs> and when you don't know that this is related to neurodivergence, it can be really, really hard. There can be a lot of shaming thoughts. I'll speak for myself here. So, right, I've experienced this since I was a teenager, if not younger. And for me, I always thought, like, I was so ashamed of these feelings. I was so ashamed of the intensity. I thought something must be wrong with me. I must be broken. I must be codependent. Like, certainly there's no way I could possibly be an okay human if I'm thinking obsessive thoughts about a person. Um, and I would go to therapy, right? I saw a lot of therapists about this problem. And it was either the sort of situation where I would be too afraid to talk about it, right? Like maybe I'd kind of go in with the thought of this is something that I could work on in therapy, but I would be way too ashamed. And it was this feeling of like other people, I almost like I felt like I had to protect other people, <laughs> even a therapist, I had to protect other people from my own internal landscape. Um, because I thought, I just thought subconsciously it would be too much for them. Or if I brought it up, it would be like really shamed upon. It would be like really shamed and this is wrong and you need to fix this. And I've even consumed a lot of materials just being on Instagram and just existing in the world that kind of talk about how this is a bad thing and it's a problem and you certainly must be codependent and you need to be fixed if you experience this. And it's interesting because to me, the time in my life in which I really began to feel freedom, peace, I don't know if those are the right words, um, acceptance, there we go, haha, <laughs> full circle, acceptance, right, radical self-acceptance of these feelings was when I embraced radical self-acceptance, right? The, the moment that I could tolerate and withstand and actually feel comfortable and support myself while being hyperfixated on a person is through radical self-acceptance. This is what has helped me the most, right? The belief that I am not broken, that there is nothing wrong with me, that I am not a trash human for having a brain that is wired this way, but that in fact, this is part of how my brain is wired and it is a part of me and that is okay. And I can work with it instead of trying to repair it, heal it, or fix it, right? How do I, it's like the framing of like, how do I support myself through this? And that's how I like to approach everything. How do I how do I support myself through this? Not how do I stop this? How do I eliminate this? But how do I support myself through this? And once I began accepting like that sort of language and that sort of perspective around my capacity to hyperfixate on people, it truly helped me so much. I was hyperfixated on my boyfriend for oh, years years let me think of the time frame i don't know year and a half and i honestly feel like in some ways i still am in a lot of ways i still am um uh like it's a little bit different because we live together now so it's not the sort of like thought of oh i wonder what this person's doing and like i don't know all of that stuff um so it does feel different, but it also feels so very much the same. I don't feel like it's changed all that much. It's just like our circumstances have changed and we're like in a relationship together instead of just like dating and all of the uncertainty that comes with dating. 
But anyway, what I, what, how I kind of handled it because I was feeling it. Oh boy, I was feeling it as I always have felt it throughout my life. And I asked myself like, okay, like I really needed to take about 20 steps back and ask myself, how do I want to be showing up in my life while I feel hyper fixated on this person, right? Because little old me, I could just be hyper fixated and be like journaling for, I don't know, this is an exaggeration, but like 12 hours a day or something um, and journaling and like thinking and ruminating about this person and like what's going on in a relationship and how we're doing and what needs to change or like what are my thoughts or I don't know, whatever. What do I need to communicate? <laughs> how can I communicate better? Whatever, whatever. Um, I could think about that all day long if I wanted to. And so when I took those 20 steps back and I asked myself like, how do I want to show up? Who do I want to be while I am hyper fixated on this person? I thought to myself like, you know, the, the feeling that was most frustrating to me was a lack of, um, it felt like a lack of independence. It felt like maybe a lack of autonomy. Um, how would I describe it? It felt like a lack of like, right? I'd be a lot of times in like waiting mode of like, hey, maybe we'll hang out. Like, let me just kind of be like prepared just in case we might hang out. And that would feel really frustrating and sometimes really crushing when plans maybe didn't work out or I don't know, like we couldn't see each other for whatever reason. And so, um, I wanted to have a sense of autonomy and independence. Um, is it interdependence? Is that the right word? Anyway, um, I wanted to have a sense of self. There we go. I wanted to have a strong sense of self while being hyper fixated on a person. And so the things that I did is I took myself out, right? I didn't just wait at home, linger at home because I could have, and <laughs> that's kind of what I wanted to do. But when I thought about my values, my values were to go out and be my own person. And so I took myself out rock climbing. I met other people. Um, you know, I maintained other social relationships. I took myself out on dates. There was one time I had a really nice time at the Van Gogh exhibit. And then I took myself out to dinner and a drink. And it was really lovely. And yes, I was thinking about the person at the time, my current boyfriend, um, the whole exact entire time that I was at this exhibit. However, I was really proud of myself for doing it. I was really proud of my autonomy and independence and, right, like kind of allow a uh, values alignment of being my own person and being independent um, and executing that value. And so that felt really, really good. And again, like still having a social life and not just being consumed. I mean, I was consumed, but it was also like okay, how can I also do other things? <laughs> how can I also be my own person and how can I encourage that? And right again, like how can I support myself alongside the feelings that I'm having rather than trying to stop them, eliminate them, destroy them, all of those kind of thoughts. Um, for me, that was a very shaming pathway. So that's what worked best for me. If you have a different experience, I love that for you. I'm just sharing what has helped me because I've tried so much and it really has not worked for me. It has not resonated with my brain. But again, I talk about this all the time. Um, the radical self-acceptance element, the self-validation element has been essential for so much of my neurodivergence journey, including this one. I think very much that, at least for my neurotype, um, I was not taught that my big emotions were okay. I was not taught that my big emotions were acceptable. Um, I was very much taught implicitly and explicitly growing up that I shouldn't have such big emotional outbursts or big emotional experiences. 
And so what I was missing growing up was validation. I did not receive a lot of validation for my feelings. Um, I did not receive a lot of support for my feelings. My feelings were often, very often overlooked. And so as an adult, reparenting myself, giving the parenting that I needed that I didn't receive to myself looks like self-validation. And that's what always has to come first for me. Um, You know, a lot of times when I try to jump immediately into, okay, let me regulate my nervous system. Okay, um, right, let me go do some yoga. Let me go even um, sometimes even go journal about it. Um, Or let me go use this nervous system regulation technique. I can't remember if I already said that. But if I go to do that, I will feel immediate resistance. I will feel immediate demand avoidance. And there is wisdom in that resistance because I don't need to change how I feel in that exact moment. What I need to do first is to validate my emotions. And so if you're someone who has a whole repertoire of tools to support yourself through big emotions and you find yourself never using them um, or experiencing resistance towards using them, it could be because the first thing that you need before even trying to problem solve or troubleshoot or um, you know, make changes is to validate yourself, validate your emotional experience, um, to tell yourself and remind yourself that your feelings make sense and you make sense. That is what I desperately needed to hear when I, when I was a kid and um, I certainly still do. And often after that foundation of self-validation, later I can enter a space where I'm more willing and um, more pleased, more ready to problem solve, to troubleshoot, to try strategies, tools, techniques. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Let's jump into the next one that I want to talk about, which if I'm remembering correctly, is body-focused hyperfixations. So body-focused hyperfixations are, again, the same sort of level of intensity of, oh, yay, like, I don't know. I just think so many people think of ADHD, even sometimes in the ADHD space, not all the times, I'm generalizing, but sometimes, and be like, oh, yeah, you're hyperfixated on this cool niche subject or, like, dinosaurs or um, Nintendo Switch games or journals and, like, oh, how lovely. (laughs) Oh, how lovely. But oftentimes we don't talk about the hard the difficult hyperfixations that we really freaking wish that we didn't, that we weren't hyperfixated on. Um, certainly that can be the case when we're like, I really don't need to be spending the money on this hobby. Like, yes, I think that's talked about very often, but we don't talk about how hard it is to hyperfixate on people. And we certainly don't talk about um, how hard it is to have body focused hyperfixations. So examples I can give, these are my personal examples of my body focused hyperfixations are Um, I will go through cycles. I will go through waves. It's much more difficult when I'm unmedicated, interestingly, which I have been for the last um, year and a half. I've been unmedicated, but um, I have these sort of like cycles that correlate with stress. Um, And it really does feel like a cycle. It's like a a lazy Susan. It just like always like comes back (laughs) to the other side. Um, But of my septum piercing, so my septum piercing, it it is pierced, crooked, unfortunately. I went to like the best piercer in Atlanta, of course, and she pierced it crooked somehow. Um, 
No one can tell. Absolutely no one can tell if they're looking at me. They w- I've never in my life gotten the comments, oh my God, somebody really messed up your septum piercing. It's so crooked. Like literally never. But I see myself in the mirror every single day and I notice it. <laughs> and there are certain times where I look in the mirror. It's so interesting. There are certain times I look in the mirror and I'm like, yeah, it's pierced crooked and I don't care. And this is fine. And it doesn't bother me. And there's other times, again, it's like these weird cycles that correlate with stress um, where I look at the mirror and I'm like, oh my God. And I have this like existential crisis and this is not okay. And I hyperfixate on the fact that my septum piercing is crooked. And I think, okay, like, do I need to get it repierced? What do I do? Is there a different kind of jewelry that I could wear that would make it less noticeable? Um, I go on the internet and I go down these internet research rabbit holes of like all of the, the options that other people talk about and what are their experiences and like, is their septum pierced crooked? Okay, let me compare that to my septum piercing and I can just spend hours, days, weeks hyper fixated. It's the same level intensity as when I learned how to crochet, except it's towards my body. It's toward this one particular aspect of my body. Um, so let's see, what's some other ones? Um, hair loss is another one for me. I do feel like my hair is thinning, um, but I've kind of always felt that way. I feel like I felt that way since I was 16, 17, 18. Um, so hair loss is another one for me and I will hyperfixate. I will take all of these pictures um, of my scalp, of my hair to try to see and like obsessively, you know, look at them and compare and then go on the internet and see like, what do I do about this? And I have been to a dermatologist about it, by the way. So like, don't think that I haven't done that, but um, I could go on a whole medical gaslighting tangent about that um, because they were like, yes, just take Rogaine. And I was like, "Mm, I would like some blood work. Can we please do that? What if I have a vitamin deficiency? Like, what if I'm anemic? What if I have a vitamin? Anyway, I could go on. I won't. But that's doctors. Ugh, so annoying. Uh, Self-advocacy. Ugh, why do we have to do it so much? But um, hair loss is another one. It's cyclical. Again, that's one that I've experienced since I was a teenager and it just keeps circling back. Um, it really does. Let's see. Skincare is another one for me. I have um, rosacea that is, as of like a week ago, officially diagnosed. Um, and so skincare is one that I've kind of hyperfixated on, on and off for probably 10, 12 years at this point. Um, but again, there's certain times where I'm like, I don't notice my pores. I don't notice my redness. I maybe even like my redness redness because it's like, oh, cute, rosy cheeks. And then there's other times where it's like, I can't stand it. Like it's, it needs to be fixed immediately. I need to do something about this. And there's just been so many times where I buy all of these skincare products and I have such sensitive skin and they just break me out and it makes it even worse and it's terrible. But same same situation. I'm taking lots of pictures. I'm looking at the pictures. I'm going on the internet. I'm seeing what other people do. What should I be doing? And on and on and on. Um, it can just also be like, um, I think I had one for like new freckles. Well, that might be the medical. I don't know. Maybe it kind of blends in. Um, and I can talk about that now too. So I also feel like there's this sort of hyperfixation on medical experiences. I don't know how to put it into words exactly, but like, um, I've had chronic, no, that's not the right word. Chronic? Maybe. Uh, I've had a lot of injuries throughout my life. I am very most likely, uh, hypermobile despite being very inflexible. I just have a lot of joint, uh, 
issues. <laughs> and every time I've ever tried to exercise ever in my life, I always end up hyper fixating on exercise and then overdoing it. Even when I try to go really, really slow, it's always too much stress on my joints and I end up getting an injury. Um, but when I do get an injury, I tend to like hyper fixate on the experience of what that injury feels like, which is so interesting because sometimes I don't notice when I'm in pain. It's just such a wild contrast of experiences. Um, like I could bang into a table, bang my hip into the corner of a table and like be like, where did this bruise come from? I don't even know. Um, like I don't remember it happening and that happens all the time. And then other times it'll be like a exercise related injury and it's like I get a little scared um, of what it could mean. And this applies for a lot of things, right? This applies to the hair loss. This applies to my rosacea. It just, it kind of makes me scared. Like, um, I hurt my, uh, Achilles sort of like soleus gastrocnemius calf muscle in college. And I hyper fixated on that injury and same experience, rabbit, Reddit, rabbit holes, internet researching, trying to figure out what to do. Um, and it just, I don't know if like the pain is overstimulating, but it's like all I can think about and it's all I notice and I just get so scared and so worried. Um, and so, yeah, that's probably like another sub-level of body-focused hyperfixations. Um, so, yeah, it could also maybe be like new freckles or new moles. Um, it could be like skin changes or like maybe aging. I don't know what it is for you, but those are some of my experiences when it comes to body focused hyperfixations. Oh, and then in the past, of course, it was around weight. How could I forget? In the past, of course, it was around weight loss and my body size and my cellulite um, and how much cellulite I had and where I had it and like all of that level of hyperfixation. That is, oh, I can't believe I forgot about that. That's a whole other level of <laughs> hyperfixation of I need to be smaller and all of the body dysmorphia and the body checking, all of that just, oh, that's just times a hundred. And I'm so grateful because I I have hard body image days. I think we all do, but I would say for the most part, like for me, I've talked about this on the podcast, my intuitive eating journey and um, my sort of like anti-dieting journey uh, to recover from my eating disorder has really helped me in that particular aspect. But I've talked about it on my podcast before. There's um, an intuitive eating episode uh, somewhere on here. Okay, so it's very difficult for me to be resourceful <laughs> at the moment when it comes to body-focused hyperfixations because I am right smack in the middle of like one of the most intense episodes. I just, I don't know if I can even say it's one of the most intense because they always feel very intense, but this one does feel very, very intense. Um, so it's a little bit difficult for me to be resourceful in this sort of brain state. However, I can tell you how I want to feel instead right? That's the question I always like to ask myself and ask clients. How do you want to feel instead? And when it comes to this experience, how I want to feel instead is that having a experience of thinning hair, having experience of, I have this little like divot in my eyelid margin that's really, really bothering me. But having those experiences, it feels in my brain like I'm going to die. That is the level of intensity of like fear, um, you know, the, the catastrophizing, um, you know, the, the spiraling, the sort of like worst case scenario and the thought of like, 
you know, what if I'm not acceptable? What if I'm not lovable? What if I'm not worthy, right? Like that's the level of intensity that my brain, my nervous system, right? This very fear-based nervous system response goes. And how I want to feel instead is to hold on to the belief that I've seen time and time again in people that I respect and admire. And also that I genuinely believe towards these people that I respect and admire. Maybe that's the way to phrase it. Okay, so maybe I'll go into storytelling mode. So my mom, when I was um, 14-ish, 15, um, she had a brain tumor, really aggressive, really malignant, really, really nasty. And she had to have, right, the whole, whole spectrum. She had to have surgery, super intense surgery, chemo, radiation, all of it. And so she didn't have any hair. Her hair was gone and she had this really gnarly scar um, on her skull, of course, (laughs) just gnarly. And I remember this moment when we were in New York, we traveled to New York for vacation to try to make, you know, some family memories together. And we were in the Empire State Building, um, headed up to the top, top and one of the people that worked there, it was a man, and my mom was wearing a Red Sox hat, a pink Red Sox hat, and somebody that worked there said, ma'am, you can't wear that in here, and he sounded very serious, like his tone was very serious, Um, but actually it ended up that he was like joking, probably, yes, he was joking, Um, because haha Red Sox, haha New York, um, (laughs) Yankees, the big rivalry. And so I will never forget, um, my mom, you know, raised her hand up to the hat and took it off and she was shaking and she was so embarrassed and she was so ashamed and she looked so fragile in that moment. And I will just never, the guy felt so bad also. The guy felt terrible. He was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like he could tell from her emotional reaction that she was not okay, um, and then I think he, he kind of said like, I'm sorry, I was just joking, you know, Yankees, haha. But my mom was so upset, understandably so. But I just remember that experience so vividly and, and how I remember it is her shame and her, oh, just, you know, I think she was really ashamed of her head and her hair and her lack of hair. And that is so understandable. I mean, I haven't had cancer, so it's not like I can say, oh yeah, just like don't be ashamed or whatever. Like I can't say that, of course, but I just know in that moment, like my mom did not see herself as I saw her, right? I didn't see her as less than or incomplete or not whole or like not a woman or not feminine or not anything. Her not having hair, her having a big gnarly scar, like all of that, I mean, she was alive then. (laughs) She was alive. And like her not having hair, it didn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, it capture her soul, right? Like not having hair or having a scar, it can't capture her soul, her spirit and how complete and whole her spirit is because it's who she is. You can't take that away from someone. It is who she is. Um, You can't take away our memories. You can't take away like the love that we shared And that's the belief that I've seen echoed and reverberated in so many other instances. Um, I feel that way about my boyfriend and in his cancer journey. I'm not going to go into too much detail about that, but I certainly feel 
that about him, um, right? Like there's just, there's just no way that any quote unquote missing part of us can take away from who we are at the core, right? The beauty that is inside of us. Um, and I also recently learned about someone named Sarah. She has an Instagram ac- account called Sunshine Autonomy. And um, she's also a cancer uh, survivor. Uh, I might be getting that language wrong. Um, sorry about that. I can't remember the, the, the language that I want to use here. But she has um, had breast cancer. And she had a mastectomy. And... Um, instead of deciding to get an implant, which I'm sure they offered her, she decided to not get an implant. And instead, she has this absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous tattoo on her chest. Um, and she takes like the coolest, raddest pictures um, of herself, like showing off her chest. And it's just like amazing to see. And like, again, it just goes to show like you are a whole and complete person. I know these are all like cancer anecdotes, but that's just where my brain's at. Um, that's just the the templates that I have for you today. Um, like, I guess, I don't know, maybe it just goes to say like something like cancer, which is so devastating and so like literally life or death, literally life or death. And yet there are people that exist in this world that, that do exist in this world that um, we either see them as whole and complete or they see themselves as whole and complete. And um, it doesn't, yeah, it's just, I think it's just a really powerful experience. And sometimes those really powerful, strong emotional experiences for me help to ground me and orient me to something like, okay, like my hair loss, my hair thinning. Um, it's not, I'm not, I don't have, like, I'm, I'm not dead. <laughs> I'm still alive. Like, hey brain, like, let's be a little bit more subjective. Let's like take those 20 steps back and be like, where are we on the scale of things? Am I catastrophizing or is this something that future me can handle if and when it happens, right? I'm not, I'm, re- I'm a resourceful person. If I want to buy a hair topper or I want to buy wigs or I want to um, take medications, like I can do that when and if I need to. And also I don't have to because no matter what, I am still whole and complete with hair loss. Do you see what I'm trying to say? I hope this is coming across the way that I want to phrase it because I think it's so powerful and so important, but like I try to absorb those echoes and reverberations of who I want to be and how I want to be in my life and how I want to show up in my life. And I've seen it in other people and I want to just like soak that in towards myself because it gives me a lot of hope and resilience and you might have examples in your life um, for people in your life where that's true. I hope you do. Um, I think that's really important. Okay, so the last one I want to talk about are, and again, I don't have the words for it. I'm sure there is like a snazzy, snazzy phrase to capture it. I just haven't thought of it yet. But it's a sort of experience on the external, right? It's not body-focused hyperfixations. It's not medical hyperfixations. It's not hyperfixations on people. And it's not really hobby interest hyperfixations either, but it's the sort of like object perfectionism level hyperfixations. So again, I mentioned this earlier, but like, let's say I bought a new water bottle, a brand new water bottle. Um, I don't want that brand new water bottle to have a scratch in it. Um, or if I drop said brand new water bottle, I'm going to have a really hard time. I'm going to have a really difficult time wrapping my brain around that. And 
I can have the tendency to hyperfixate. Probably not, honestly, on a water bottle, but let's say something like um, I spend, I don't know, $1,000 on a brand new camera and I accidentally scratch the lens or I'm worried about having dust on the sensor or, you know, maybe uh, if it's a mirrorless camera, there's some dead pixels or hot pixels on the sensor. Like if you're not a camera person, that just means things are wrong. (laughs) Things are not the way they should be. Um, And that's that's just going to have me spiraling. And it's going to be the same level of hyperfixation, same kind of like internet researching. What is this problem? What do people do? How do I handle it? What should I do? How do I fix it? Um, what are the details, all of that same level of intensity on that particular experience. It was the same for me with my car. Um, you know, years ago when I bought my first car, uh, it was the same level of like, uh, I don't know. I think my, my, my boyfriend at the time opened his door and like dinged my door. And that was, uh, that was like a very intense hyperfixation of like, how do I fix this? How do I fix this? Um, And it's so interesting because I'll have that experience and then often for things, I'll just like wake up one day and be like, oh, I don't care anymore. (laughs) Like the novelty wears off almost um, of the new shiny perfect thing. The novelty wears off and then I don't care anymore if it's well loved or well used or it has, you know, scuffs and scratches on it. Like I just don't care. Um, But at the very beginning (laughs) stages when the novelty is there, and the, I don't know, intensity is there. I just very much do. And so for these instances, right, I, coming all back to it, right, talking about values, what I, who do I want to be in the world when it comes to this particular situation, um, my, the value that I choose in, is imperfectionism. The value that I choose is imperfectionism. And so I remind myself that when I have imperfections in my life um, that show up in my external environment, I remind myself that I am an imperfectionist and that this, whatever the ding or scuff or whatever else has happened is a reflection of my value in the world, is a reflection of my value in in my universe, in my little bubble and corner of the universe. And I always find that very comforting. Sometimes it's a little easier said than done, right? There's sometimes where it just feels really, really freaking hard and I just need a little time to get there. Uh, but for the most part, valuing and perfectionism helps to ground me and orient me through this. And last thing I want to say before I hop off, um, I might have mentioned this earlier in the podcast, but I don't think I went into too much detail. So this whole experience, encompassed experience, is something that my ADHD medication, I was on Adderall, um, Adderall Extended Release. And this was one of the things that I feel like my ADHD medication really helped me with. Um, in that I was not experiencing these body-focused hyperfixations, um, perfectionist imp- uh, hyperfixations, or uh, no, I won't say I wasn't because I definitely was hyperfixated on my boyfriend. So the people one did not help with, but other things, yes. And um, I have a theory, <laughs> I have a theory perhaps about why. Um, so I read in the book, Driven to Distraction by Ed Hallowell. Um, He has this brilliant section in the book where he talks about certain um, presentations of ADHD. And, you know, he talks very much in depth about, like, you can have ADHD and OCD. You can have ADHD and depression. You can have ADHD and anxiety. Or 
You can have anxiety stemming from your undiagnosed ADHD. You can have OCD-like symptoms stemming from the core primary condition, which is your undiagnosed ADHD, right? Or they can be entirely separate and need to be treated separately, right? So those are the two potential avenues. It's like they're totally separate, but they're co-occurring or you know, you're experiencing depression, you're experiencing anxiety, or you're experiencing OCD-like symptoms because your ADHD is untreated. And this is just how your ADHD is manifesting. And when I read that in this book, it really strongly resonated with me. Um, and I think a lot of um, like my maybe OCD, like obsessive and compulsive type tendencies when it comes to these certain hyperfixations of like, this has to be perfect or else I feel like I'm going to die. Um, in my nervous system, right? Not in my brain, but in my nervous system. That's how my nervous system feels is a sort of uh, presentation that for me, taking ADHD medication helped so much with. Um, <laughs> and again, it didn't help necessarily when it came to my boyfriend. Maybe there's just too much dopamine there, but for um, the medical stuff, for body focus stuff, and for uh, the perfectionism level stuff. It did help a lot. So I just wanted to share my personal experience. Obviously, this is not medical advice. I am just sharing my own personal experiences with ADHD medication. And I hope at some point to have a podcast where I talk about this a lot more, including like why I decided to stop taking meds. Um, you know, what happened when I was on them, what happened when I got off of them and sort of like where I'm at now. So that's going to be coming down the pipeline. But anyway, thank you so much for listening today. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your week. I may or may not be recording next week. It is the holidays. We will see. I'll let my brain do what it wants to do. I'm going to follow my dopamine here. But if you have found my podcast listening through um, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, I would love to invite you to follow me on Instagram. My handle is Comfort and Kindness. And over there, I give a lot of free insights, resources, um, mindset downloads, as I like to say. Um, and then also just like documenting how I manage my day to day. Um, I do that a lot in my stories. So follow me over there and I hope you have a wonderful holidays and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.